The value of investments can fall as well as rise, and losses may be made. This is not a buy, sell, or hold recommendation for any particular security. Welcome to 91's 2024 Investment Views. In this series of conversations, our investment professionals and portfolio managers will explore their views for the year ahead and assess the outlook for their asset classes and regions. Hi, I'm Grant Webster, and I'm the co-head of Emerging Markets Debt at 91. And today, as part of our 2024 investment views, I'm going to be talking to Victoria Harleen and Varun Lajawala. We're going to be talking about 2023, the year that was, and the outlook for 2024. Varun, Vic, thanks so much for joining me today. Um, and it's been another tough year in, in emerging, well, in markets generally, actually, let's say, not just EM. In fact, EM is um, slightly up here today, can you believe it, given uh, the volatility, the headlines, the, the nervousness, um, the scares around inflation. Um, and even last year, when it was another tough year in 2022, given uh, the war in Russia, Ukraine, rising inflation, um, even though returns were negative for emerging markets, they actually outperformed developed markets. You know, I think global bond market last year was down 18%. Uh, local currency EM debt uh, was down only single digits, maybe 8% uh, on a hedge basis. So really impressive returns last year relative to developed markets. And maybe, Vic, I can ask you, you know, if we see a turn of markets next year, if we see more of a rally, um, rates easing, can, um, can EMD in, in particular outperform? So I think you summed it up. It's been a really tough a couple of years for uh, fixed income generally. But I think the fact that EMs tend to out-yield uh, developed markets um, plays to that carry element and earning more yield. So by default, in a stable environment, EMs should outperform. I think if you then overlay where we are in the cycle for EMs and how much further through the economic cycle we are, on top of um, central bank uh, rate cycles and indeed starting to cut interest rates. Um, and then you overlay corporate fundamentals, for example, with lower leverage. It's easy to see how EMs can start to outperform. And we think about that from a credit perspective, from a ratings trajectory. And so having had the last few years of ratings downgrades uh, momentum across sovereigns and across corporates, and with some restructurings in the frontiers, it's sort of weighed on the asset class. But now that momentum has turned and actually we're back into the positive trajectory, which is much more uh, forward uh, along than developed markets. So I think fundamentally, there's a very strong reason why we could outperform. I mean, you, you're talking a lot about sort of an environment of lower growth, uh, lower growth, low inflation, and obviously lower rates, which is great for us bond investors. But I mean, Varun, for you guys on the equity side, let's be honest, much tougher in EM equity mm. land, not just a, a one or two year thing. It's probably decade long, as it has been for local emerging market debt as well. Um, and a lot of that's been China. So I wondered what your thoughts are. Does some of this lower growth, lower U.S. rates, does that story play into EM equities? Yeah, I think if you um, if you step back and look at the the sort of three headwinds for the asset class today, I think the the first very obvious one is around um, you know conflict and geopolitics. Whether you look at Russia, Ukraine. You look at the Middle East, we've got conflicts, and there's not an insignificant probability that those conflicts could widen rather than narrow. So I think that's, that's, that's number one. 
I think um, number two is the, um, the, the, the conflict between China and the U.S., with China being the emerging superpower. How does the U.S. cope with that? And I think the, um, the, the final sort of point is specifically around where does China go from here from a growth perspective? Um, those are unanswered questions. How does the asset class perform if China doesn't get its act together? So those are the sort of near-term issues, I think, facing the asset class. I think more broadly, if you look out two to three years, there's money to be made for the patient investor, both from a beta perspective as well as alpha. I think if you consider beta first, um, you know, I, I think what Vic is saying resonates on the equity side as well. What you have with this asset class is it's just much further along in its economic cycle. So we've seen rates come down in places like Brazil, Chile, Mexico. So you're getting counter-cyclical exposure buying this asset class. I think if you look at the biggest headwind over the last 10 years, it's the US dollar. And we've seen, um, we've seen central banks sort of overshooting, um, typically, if history is anything to go by. If we overshoot into some point next year, you could see rates start coming down. And obviously, that has implications for the dollar, clearly very positive for emerging market equities. And I suppose the final point to make is, what are you actually buying when you buy the asset class today? Well, you're buying an asset class which is on its knees in terms of valuation, where the companies, the ROEs of these businesses, the margins of these businesses are heading north. So you're getting more for less effectively, um, if you can stomach it. Yeah, I mean, you've, you've, you've thrown a lot in there. And I want to go back to the beginning around the geopolitics. Mm. Um, and we're talking here and, uh, you know, sadly, there's two ongoing conflicts uh, in, in Europe and the Middle East. But if, we, if we're hopeful and optimistic and that these conflicts are contained or if not um, improving, um, I mean, what are the channels through which it could affect uh, EM equities, right? Um, I mean, oil is clearly one of them, mm -hmm. um, but we're all hoping that they, they get resolved. But even under the status quo, even if they're ongoing, where, I mean, where's the risk really? Yeah, I think if you look at, um, if you look at where the opportunities are um, today, um, whether or not things get resolved from a conflict standpoint tomorrow or the day after, I think one big theme playing out is the nearshoring theme or rather the decoupling of supply chains. Um, I'm sure you see it, Vic, on the, on the bond side as well. Places like India um, manufacture the iPhone now, which was inconceivable three or four years ago. So there are businesses now in India that didn't exist five years ago because India have really tried to prioritize an indigenous manufacturing um, sort of hub. So I think that's one. The obvious other area is Mexico, um, which has never done more business with the U.S. than it's doing today. So I think, you know, the, the world adjusts and so too does the opportunity. So set. geopolitics is actually leading to opportunities For as sure. these supply chains spread out. For sure. Yeah. We're quite excited on the bond side because um, we have India probably joining our, our local currency index next year. Um, so another country, another very big country, another pool of liquidity. Um, are you seeing any other themes um, in the markets across India, LATAM that um, interest you, or, or, or could be big themes for next year? Yeah, I think I think um, you know one one sort of contrarian theme is I think real estate. If you if you if you sort of look at what's happening with real estate now, um, rates are peaking out. 
Um, and I think that is the simple thread that, that brings real estate in the Middle East together with real estate in Mexico, Brazil, and India. So real estate, I think, is, is probably our contrarian pick for, for next year. Um, I think the other, we talked about India, I think the other one is probably Korea. So we talked about the cheapness of the asset class. Um, really, Korea has been the poster child for, for cheapness um, throughout time. A lot of that is justified. I think why it could be the wild card is that it's up for potential um, elevation from emerging market status to developed market status. So I think there's there's definitely a couple of contrarian bets out there when real you look at real estate. Real estate definitely is. I don't even know if, if I'm allowed to mention the word real estate <laughs> in this. But I mean, yes. I, I think it's one thing that's true is that EM's been through a massive default cycle already, whether yes. it's the corporate side or the sovereign side. You know, it's hard to talk about, but you know, they've added up since COVID, since the pandemic. We've had a number of frontier countries default, and um, then of course Russia and Ukraine and the effects of that. So I wondered in, in in the corporate world, where are we in that cycle? And particularly in EM versus developed markets, which I think is something yeah. we need to consider. I mean, I think if you take a step back and coming back to what we were saying about where EMs are relative uh, on, in the cycle, we saw quite a strong deleveraging from corporates around the COVID um, uh, pandemic. And that really played into uh, the strengthening of balance sheets coming into this downturn. So actually, from a leverage perspective, EMs are a lot more healthy than DMs. They've also been able to replace their financing in dollars for onshore financing and private debt financing at cheaper levels. So when we don't have this problem of maturity walls that are building that could cause uh, a spike in, in defaults. And so actually, when you look at our expected defaults across the landscape, the, the recent spike we've had, as you mentioned, China real estate and then Russia and Ukraine, stripping that out, we look on a comparable basis to DM, but forward looking because of the lower interest expense, et cetera, we're actually probably looking uh, uh, certainly to, to deliver uh, below average default rates uh, in the future. Um, I would just like to say we talked about sectors uh, and geopolitics. But one of the key tectonic shifts that we're actually seeing as well is all the investment that's going into uh, renewables and all the new industries that are being created. And I think just taking that backdrop and looking at potential fixed asset investment and future growth trajectory, that's something that EMs are using as a way to, um, uh, you know, sort of isolate the, themselves from the dollar um, uh, geopolitical situation. And, and we see... Um, more uh, uh, investment uh, and proactive nature of governments really trying to insulate themselves in this way. Is, and is that something you can tap into through EM corporate debt? Absolutely. Yeah, we see a lot of our corporates, actually, whether you're a renewables company, and here we've seen India do a lot on that front, uh, a lot of renewables, uh, a lot of utility companies shifting to renewables, but also just generally industrials that are decarbonizing uh, and looking forward for future uh, industries in a in a carbon neutral world is, is something that is the future of, of EM. Yeah. Okay. Bringing it together, maybe, you know, in one or two lines each, you can sort of help me answer the question of, as we go into 2024, um, it looks increasingly likely that the US is going to slow. Europe is already quite weak. China may be stabilizing, let's say, but it's going to be a low growth environment. Yet at the same time, 
Um, hopefully, we see the end of this rate hiking cycle. You get some cuts coming through next year, uh, tail end of the year, possibly from the US. So with your corporate equity hats on, you know, how do those two things play out? Because on the one hand, you've got lower growth coming through, but on the other, you've got an easier liquidity environment. And I guess that's the big question for us. I think, um, look, the elephant in the room is China. When you talk about growth, you're talking about China. It's yeah. a third of our universe, um, slightly different in your world. Um, I suppose the the question around China is around the opacity of the decision-making process with regards to the party. So if you rewind the clock back to 1950, the period between 1950 and 1980, you knew exactly what you were getting with China. You were getting ideology and nothing else. 1980 to 2010, you knew exactly what you were getting. You were getting zero zero ideology, a lot of economic consequences. They wanted to enrich a billion people. Now with Xi Jinping, you don't know if you're getting ideology or you're getting economic consequences. You don't know when it's going to happen. And I think you're getting more pragmatism than anything else. Um, or confusion. Yeah, um, yeah. I think the, the 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 sort of best indicator off that was late last year. We saw the the COVID lockdown U-turn, which surprised the market. So I suppose to your point, how do you deal with lower growth? How do you deal with rates doing what they're doing? I think if you answer the China question, you get it right. Um, the $64,000 question. And I think on China, our view is that um, the economy has started to roll out sort of stimulus measures. It's not the large-scale stimulus that the market's hoping for. But if you look at the market on sub-11 times earnings, a lot of that bad news is is priced in. Vic, do you want to throw anything in there? Yeah, fixed income's much easier. Yeah, <laughs> the carry element of fixed income and the seniority of debt basically protects you. So, um, you know, we see in a lower growth environment, companies continue to delever. That's yeah. very positive for credit. Mm-hmm. Um, so in that environment, we would expect, uh, you know, we long for a higher for longer. It means we can compound our, our coupons for longer and have ultimately higher returns through the cycle. I think that's that's the crucial thing, right? We're all hoping for a bit of a slowdown, but not too much. Yes. And right now, that's what we've seen in markets as we head into the end of 2023. Uh, some cooling in the US, you know, some of that concern around uh, higher for longer and what it means for companies and sovereigns easing back a bit. And I think that bodes well for next year. So thanks very much. Thank you. Thank you. This podcast is a marketing communication and is provided for general information only and assumes a certain level of knowledge of financial markets. It is not an invitation to make an investment and should not be construed as advice. The views of this podcast are those of contributors at the time of publication and do not necessarily reflect those of 91. In South Africa, 91 is an authorized financial services provider.